The world of agriculture technology is vast and constantly evolving, with new innovations and companies emerging at a rapid pace. At AgTech Media Group, we understand the importance of staying updated and connected in this dynamic industry, and that's why we're thrilled to announce the launch of our new AgTech Company Directory, a comprehensive and user-friendly resource designed to help you navigate the complex landscape of AgTech innovators. More than just a list, it's a curated collection of companies leading the charge in transforming the AgTech sector from startups pioneering new farming methods to established companies adopting cutting-edge technologies. Our directory spans a wide range of leaders dedicated to advancing agriculture through technology. Whether you're a farmer looking for the latest in crop monitoring tools and investors seeking promising ag tech startups or a researcher interested in sustainable farming practices, ag tech directory is designed to cater to your specific needs. You can filter by sector, technology, size, or location to find exactly what you're looking for. To learn more and to claim your company listing, visit agtechcompanies.com. If you are starting a vertical farm and don't know where to begin or which technology would suit your needs, then reach out to the experts at Cultivated. As indoor farm brokers, they help connect you to the right technology and ensure your project is successful. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Visit cultivated.com to learn more. And that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com or click the link in the show notes. Thinking about key genetic traits plus the rapid growing process. So that's a really enhancing, you know, and that leading to this rapid cultivation, this speed breeding. And this is, again, what we think about is sort of the next generation of the indoor farming and the opportunities that we continue to unlock, which is, you know, how do we think about the right seeds to optimize for indoor growing? How do we think about the right seeds to optimize for the characteristics or traits, you know, that we're growing for as well? Welcome to the Vertical Farming Podcast, weekly conversations with fascinating CEOs, founders, and ad tech visionaries. Join us every week as we dive deep into the world of vertical farming with your host, Harry Duran. Vertical Farming Podcast Season 3, welcome back. If this is your first time listening, I'm sure you're in the right place because this is the one where we interview fascinating CEOs and founders of the leading vertical farming companies from around the world. I'm your host, Harry Duran. Thanks for carving out a little bit of time in your day to listen to this episode. I truly appreciate it. In case you missed last week's episode, we had on Thomas Oberlin, co-founder at Fazenda Urbana, talking about some of the great things they're doing in Brazil. This week, we get to hear some more about the happenings at AeroFarms, courtesy of Mark Oshima. He's the co-founder and chief marketing officer, and Mark was gracious enough to come on the show and share his unique perspective. AeroFarms is no stranger to folks listening to this podcast, but for those of you that may not know, they are an award-winning indoor farming company that's bold on its mission to grow the best plants possible for the betterment of humanity. Today, Mark and I talk about his background in marketing and how it has impacted his work at AeroFarms. Again, given his background, we learn a lot about how Mark thinks about challenges and opportunities happening in the vertical farm space. We learn a couple of new concepts for those that are like me learning as we go. And it's clear that Mark has a passion for food and also about the idea of business being a force for good which we spend a little time on as well. So really enjoyed this as a compliment to my earlier conversation with Ed Harwood. This episode is also brought to you by Indoor AgCon. Remember that if you're scaling up or starting up, Indoor AgCon can help you grow your vertical farming business. It's live and in person this year, and it's the premier trade show and conference for vertical farming and CEA, and it heads to the Hilton Orlando from October 4th through 5th. There'll be an expo floor filled with new product resources and business solutions, and you can attend idea-packed educational sessions led by top CEOs and thought leaders. Best of all, as we slowly come out of this pandemic, you can connect with peers in person and potential business partners at some of the great networking events planned. Learn more and take advantage of early bird registration discounts at indoor.ag, and you can save an additional $100 off registration with our promo code VFPOD2021, and we'll have that in the show notes as well. Lastly, if you're not already, make sure you are subscribed or follow the show wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're looking for new reviews ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP, and we'll be sure to read it out on a future episode. Okay, let's get into this conversation with Mark. So Mark Oshima, co-founder and chief marketing officer at AeroFarms. Thank you for joining me on the Vertical Farming Podcast. Great to join you, Harry. And for the benefit of the listener, like where are you dialing in from? 
So I'm dialing in from Newark, New Jersey, where Aero Farms, we have our global headquarters. Today, we're a team of over 185 people. We have multiple locations in Newark offices, as well as multiple farms, commercial farms, R&D farms, but using this as a nexus for the work we're doing around the world. And where's home for you? Well, I grew up in New Jersey. And so, yeah, this is exciting for me to be redefining the garden state and thinking about new ways of farming. And I had a lot of ties to Newark, even growing up. My father worked for Prudential, which is Newark-based, and uh, spent a lot of time in Newark over the years. And so it's been nice to, you know, call this home as well. But I actually live in Manhattan. My wife is born and raised there. Tough to get her out, but close by. And what's exciting about our farms and our team, you know, we really think about ourselves being, you know, within the community or by the community. And so most of our team lives within 15 miles of, uh, of our Newark uh, headquarters. What was the major impact to you? I know a lot of things have happened over the past, you know, 14, 16 months related to the pandemic. And I'm just wondering if there's something that stands out for you that's memorable from having gone through that experience, especially having lived in the city. Well, what strikes me, and I'm reminded of this every day, is just the incredible commitment of our team. It's incredible. Um, wearing this mantle of essential worker and the idea that we're feeding, nourishing the community. We've maintained operations every single day, and it's because of the commitment of our team. And so that's been incredibly rewarding and people appreciating you know, the importance of the work we're doing, not only here, but again, in that broader lens of how we can really write this new playbook in agriculture and food and food security. So that's really has stood out. But it's also been an opportunity where we've partnered closely with our selling partners helping them solve some of their problems that they've had in their distribution centers, their ability. And so, look, our food service that had disappeared, we're excited to see that coming back. And so when we talk about sort of silver lining and you know where we are, that's exciting for us as well. But our retail business has grown tremendously. And, you know, with our fast growing process, you know, we were able to pivot very quickly in terms of our seeding schedule, our harvest schedule, and really think about deploying even more product to the retail. Historically, we've worked with a wide range of different customers. Our whole lens is about how we democratize access to good, healthy food. And it's really, again, working with key retailers and food service partners that when we think about expanding, not only what we're doing here in the Northeast, but other regions in the U.S., but around the world, how do we work with them? And that's what's exciting for us when we think about that long-term vision about impact. On a personal note, what's the one thing you missed the most <laughs> from home? Well, listen, I am a huge foodie, love food, love going out to restaurants. I'm very involved in the culinary area in a number of different ways. It helped elevate my home cooking. But <laughs> listen, I really appreciate being able to go out to restaurants, appreciating the work, and uh, just really passionate about this area. In addition to my work at Aero Farms, I'm on the board of Chefs Collaborative, which has been around for over 25 years, helping you know be able to champion a more sustainable food system. I'm on the Sustainable Advisory Council for the Culinary Institute of America, and so really healthy appreciation of you know what restaurants, what chefs you know have been going through, and happy to be able to support them in any way I can. And one of the biggest ways is by going out, and so it's been a big exciting opportunity to be able to get back into that. Are you a Chef's Table fan? Chefs, yeah, well, that's also what we've become is just huge consumers, you know, of every single, you know, show, whether it's Chef's Table, you know, we went back and looked at every season of Top Chef, you know, even Master Chef. I was like, anything and everything. But the Chef's Table really elevates it, right? And uh, it's really pretty special. And some of those chefs I've had a chance to, to get a chance to meet as well. And so seeing their personal stories, their backstories, that one always seems to go a little bit deeper and really strikes, you know, an emotional chord. But I tell you what, it just whets the appetite even more. So it's something that is a, almost torture to go through because you can't get a chance <laughs> to enjoy their food just yet. But looking forward to that time where we kindle that. Do you feel that a show like that has brought the elevation of the creation of food more into the mass consciousness and obviously now that the quality of the video is even better so like you get to see the crispness of the lettuce <laughs> in real like in 4k and i'm wondering if that's caused people to have more of an appreciation for how their food is made and, and the story behind the food yeah well listen my background is in marketing and the power of telling stories connecting with consumers and so that's exactly right what they've done is be able to elevate you know, the experience, both in terms of the visual, but also just in terms of the narrative, in terms of geography, in terms of locales that they go to. So it's bringing, you know, what had been really a rarefied experience. How many people are going to be able to go to, you know, Santiago or, you know, some remote place and be able to enjoy a meal? So 
you got to bring that into your home and appreciate the craftsmanship, the work. And I think that's what's exciting about this era that we're in. That there's you know greater access, uh, greater visibility, greater transparency. And what this is all doing is cultivating a better appreciation of your food and where it's coming from, how it's prepared. And I know for me, that's one of the inspirations when we thought about founding AeroFarms, which is, again, how do we be even more open about how we're growing and the reasons why we're doing it? So this is an exciting time in terms of, I think, media and access from the media standpoint as well. And AeroFarms is B Corp, is that correct? AeroFarms is a B Corp. Yeah, this was really important for us. From day one, we had always been thinking about all the different stakeholders, not only from an investor standpoint, but our environment, the community, our team members. And for us, the B Corp was a way to really formalize you know, that work that we're doing. And think about, again, even this idea of transparency. There's a scorecard in how we're doing both environmental factors, but also societal factors. And B Corp was really important for us when we thought about certifications. It goes well beyond organic and some of the limitations that we see within organic, which historically has not factored in particularly the worker welfare, right? And so this idea, how business can be a force for good, it expands and is beyond just the world of agriculture. This is about other verticals. And so we're you know, hoping that we can be an inspiration and a catalyst for other companies as well. How do we set more open you know, standards about how we can do business. And having been in companies before that weren't B Corp, do you notice a difference in how AeroFarms conducts business, does its marketing, because it is a B Corp? Well, you know, it's a reminder, you know, of the importance of certifications and, you know, what it means. It's an endorsement, right? It's third party. It's something that we can look to both externally, but also internally in terms of, again, how do we measure and I think it's much more important when we think about it. It's not just us saying it, right? And so this is really being able to apply you know, a true barometer of how we're doing and what we're doing. So I think that's really important, you know, critical aspect. You know, when we think about you know, the impact we want to have, the continuum we're on. And so we think it's very meaningful in terms of, again, we find more and more. For example, we announced a major partnership with Hortifruit, which is the number one berry company in the world. So when I mentioned Santiago, that was like, just top of mind, but that's actually where they're based. But the fact is they're a B Corp as well. And that's such an important lens when we think about who do we partner with and having shared values. We have other partners who share that same spirit. And so this is an important idea of, again, where and how do we want to partner as well. It was interesting to see that. And it reminded me of the partnership with uh, Driscoll and Plenty. And I'm wondering if we're going to see more strategic partnerships like that with vertical farming companies and established players in the space. Yeah, I, well, in general, I think for us at AeroFarms, what we think is exciting is that we've developed this expertise around growing, right? And AeroFarms has taken a very different approach than anyone else out there in that we've developed our own proprietary growing systems. So when we talk about the AeroFarms team, you know, it's not just the plant scientists, it's the engineers, the mechanical, the electrical, the PLC, you know, process. And it's world-class operators, it's food safety, it's nutritionists thinking holistically again about that plant health and human health. But we realize that we can apply this to solve a much greater set of agriculture challenges. It's no longer just about indoor vertical farming. So we're doing stuff now in genetics and speed breeding. We work with Fortune 500 companies besides you know the hoarder fruit that we can even be public about, but we work with a wide range of different customers. And I think that's what we continue to see in other verticals, not just food, but anything plant-based. So we've been doing something even in the pharmaceutical and growing a plant-based protein there in terms of being able to host a vaccine. And so the applications are ex- exciting when we think about the world ahead of us. Always trying to be conscious of people that are new to vertical farming that listen to the podcast. Can you explain the concept of speed breeding? Yeah. So, I mean, at the core, you know, we think about seed development in general, too, in terms of the field. It's typically a seven-year process. You know, just think fundamentally. You have one May every year, you know, to try to get it right and get those learnings. The fact is that we're able to grow indoors. And we're marrying thinking about key genetic traits plus the rapid growing process. So that's really enhancing, you know, and leading to this rapid cultivation, this speed breeding. And this is, again, what we think about is sort of the next generation of the indoor farming and the opportunities that we continue to unlock, which is, you know, how do we think about the right seeds to optimize for indoor growing? How do we think about the right seeds to optimize for the characteristics or traits, you know, that we're growing for as well? And so for us, you know, the speed breeding is a way to help accelerate, you know, this overall learning process. And so, you know, we have 
continuing to be you know, a go-to source to be able to lead you know, the scientific inquiry. We developed the first ever, co-developed the first ever uh, CRISPR produce product. We also are in the process working with, when we think about public-private partnerships, we work with the Foundation for Food and Agriculture Research. And there we help form what's called PIP, the Precision Indoor Plants Consortium. It's a multinational collection of companies and we've announced specific categories. The first one happens to be leafy greens, but we're AeroFarms is the principal investigator for all this research. And so that's just a really acknowledgement of the technical you know, expertise the team has. And the big thing is around trust. When you think about these multinational companies, lots at stake and our ability to be able to work with them and lead them and guide them and work closely with them is a really great commentary on our team here. I couldn't help but notice that almost all your career you've been in marketing, and I'm wondering if that just was an early passion of yours when you were in college. Well, it started even earlier, just a curiosity, you know, the question of why and wanting to get to the under, you know, underbelly and under, you know, thinking about why something is. And that idea of, you know, how to connect has definitely been something that's fueled me. Food as well. I'm fortunate that. My mom is German, my father is Japanese-American, but grew up with a very culturally diverse you know, household and, and food and cuisine and was very fortunate to travel as well. But food was always this unifying thing in terms of the different travels and appreciating you know, how food can bring people together. So that's been some of the guiding things for me. And then some things that have been really pivotal, I spent a lot of time on the marketing advisory board for the Food Bank for New York City and the idea of access to food and increasing access to food. These were all very seminal for me personally in thinking about, again, coming together with our CEO, David Rosenberg, our chief science officer, Dr. Ed Harwood, and thinking about forming AeroFarms, about the kind of impact we wanted to have as a company, and then what we could do you know, realistically to help address each one of those areas. And what's the story of how you met uh, David? Well, David, you think about any business, you know, you really want to know, you know, who you're working with. And I've had a chance to know David now for over 25 years. And the background there is we've always looked for opportunities to work together. His previous work in the world of nanotechnology, he's been an incredible visionary and has started a number of change the world type of companies. His previous company in the world of construction and waterproofing, the first ever product for concrete was really a breakthrough. It didn't intersect with the world of marketing that I was doing. I've headed the marketing for supermarket chains, specialty food retailers, also in brand management. But this opportunity to be able to work together was something we looked at. Because we had gotten a chance to travel the world on the, we were on the national team for the sport of fencing. And so you get a chance to get to know someone really well when you are representing the United States and, you know, competing, you know, for that. And, uh, we trained at the same club in New York City at the New York Athletic Club, but also as part of the national team. So you form some deep you know, history and relationships there. And that was foundational, though, for us when we met at Dr. Ed Harwood as well, which was, again, thinking about the people, alignment, and shared vision. And that was really important for us when we, uh, the three of us then ultimately came together as well. Yeah, and Ed's been on the podcast as well. So he's, he gave me a little bit of the background on, on the founding story. But I'm just curious how, you know, the, sometimes the universe puts these people in your path and you have no idea <laughs> what, what the intention was in, in terms of like why you were supposed to meet and then coming around full circle. Some of the cycles take probably years to work out and some of them maybe even decades. Yeah. I mean, there's one thing in my marketing career that I still marvel at. And you're right. There's not always an obvious sort of path, but the experiences, the one thing that's been common is that I have a history of working on specifically new launches and new business models in terms of, again, thinking about what's the right proposition, how do you communicate that, how do you develop that. But I've worked in, in beauty, I've worked in food, I've worked in media. But one of the things that, that I did in the world of beauty, I worked for L'Oreal for a number of years, I helped launch one of the first sun care lines that they had. And so did a lot of work on understanding the impact of UV and looking at the light spectrum, not appreciating that could come full circle and appreciating what's that impact on plants and growing and horticulture. And so it's been fun to kind of think about, you know, that path and that evolution as well. And uh, what was your big takeaway from doing the marketing for Toys R Us? <laughs> I couldn't help but ask. Yeah. So listen, well, first retail is really challenging. We'll just say, right? Yeah. And so... And having a long-term view is really critical. I was recruited to go work for Toys R Us, and the work there was about how do we compete with the big box retailers? So it's not just about price, right? So how do you create experience? And so we worked on you know, 
repositioning the brand, creating a different store experience, creating subject matter experts and employees to be associate experts. And we had developed some amazing initiatives to really be able to unveil that. But just a very competitive you know, retail market where toys are being used very strategically, sometimes as lost leaders to attract people in. So very different um, strategies. So yeah, Toys R Us is, I think, one of those tragic retail stories. And I have to say, I mean, there's not a shortage of those, you know, in terms of, again, just appreciating that you need to innovate and you need to change and you need to be able to compete. Toys R Us used to have a philosophy of stack it high and let it fly, which was basically, again, if you're the only game in town, you can really be able to deliver on that. But if competition changes, you need to change. And so what I've appreciated more than ever is that spirit of innovation, spirit of change that's needed and not being afraid you know, to challenge you know, the status quo. And that's been one of the guiding, you know, when we think about uh, values of the organization, is to be able to think about today, you know, as you know, with all your different guests, I mean, we're writing this new playbook in agriculture, right? And so all pre, you know, prior preconceived notions, how can we improve, right? And being open to that. And then even today, because we've been one of the pioneers in the space, not being afraid to, you know, challenge even ourselves. And so I think that's what has served as well is that spirit of inquiry. And I give Ed a lot of credit when we talk about curiosity as well, is being able to, you know, instill that sense of, of wonderment, but also the question of why, right? And so that's been very uh, motivating for all of us when we think about the work we're doing. And at the heart, you know, we think of ourselves as technologists, as farmers, but science has been, you know, in that sense of inquiry has been, you know, guiding us to there as well. I think about uh, marketing a lot. It's one of my, my favorite pastimes and sort of just to brainstorm with folks and just being an entrepreneur myself. Sometimes like I lose myself in conversations because I, <laughs> I just think about different marketing ideas. And so what I what's interesting is the emotional aspect to marketing. And just coming back to toys, for example, like if I asked you if you remember like one of your earliest childhood toys, would anything come to mind? Oh, Lego, without question. Lego, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so... And trust me, getting a chance to go to, you know, Lego's corporate offices, it was just <laughs> childhood dream, yeah. the opportunity and thing like, you know, but that, you know, sense of, and it wasn't, you know, so it was always about, you'd get, you know, the plans for some elaborate, you know, kit, you know, that you'd have, but that's great. But it was what you could make on your own, which was always the motivating thing for me. So that imagination and how do you capture that, you know, and those building blocks, it's very literal, right? In terms of, Again, my passions. But yeah, that's what's exciting when you think about, you know, how can you capture that emotion, right, that you're talking about, right? You know, that wonderment of not only opening that present, but it could be the birthday, it could be the you know special holiday. And that's why for us, you know, what we're doing and have been doing initially right now in the category of leafy greens, where we've been able to publish, you know, results and talk about what we're doing on strawberries, we're creating different flavor experiences. And listen, leafy greens is typically a low involvement category, right? And, you know, there's a reason why salad dressings is such a big category and people want to cover up and they're like, I'm going to eat my greens because it's good for me. But we're changing all of that. You know, again, that's the old concept. And when we do demos, I mean, if you have customers literally doing a dance of like, oh, my God, I didn't know kale could taste like that. And people know, like, again, <laughs> it's so nutritious, I better eat it. But now they can enjoy it. That's been incredibly exciting. We have people calling into the customer service line and saying, is your arugula supposed to be this peppery? And it's just like, <laughs> it is, in fact, and this is what we celebrate. And so you create those emotional experiences. I have to tell you, like, and food is so powerful with that because it's so tied to memories, associations, right, moments in time. Uh, we had a French journalist come in, and she tried our watercress, right? And she immediately started crying. And it was like this very incredible moment. And she just said, well, this brings me back to as a child being on my grandmother's farm, you know, in the south of France. And it was like an instant, you know, moment in time that she had by one taste, right? And so those are incredibly exciting thinking about, you know, how do we capture more of those, celebrate more of those, create more of those moments like that. And also, I don't know if you sense some a bit of responsibility in helping elevate the conversations around healthy food and healthy eating. Uh, my girlfriend and I are going through a reading up on Mark Sisson's 21 day keto reset. So I've been learning a lot about how the body processes food and, and stores food and, and how it's 
tie it into, you know, how people respond emotionally and, and just the importance of being healthy and thinking about how resilient the body is with the stuff we feed it nowadays, but also just how much more it could do if, if fed properly. Yeah. When I mentioned that we have nutritionists on staff, I mean, we're looking at this from a very disciplined approach in terms of understanding the science, understanding the impact that we can have. And so we feel like we're creating a new category of food, right? Increased nutritional density. And, you know, we've seen some amazing results versus USDA standards in terms of being able to deliver greater vitamin A, greater vitamin C. But the most fundamental thing when you think about, like, you want to change the health and wellness. And we see this, by the way, we actually have had school programs. We've had working farms in inner city schools. And you see how you change behavior. You make it taste good. And that's what I was saying. You get them to eat one more serving, right? And Or a serving, right? That's the, still the biggest challenge we have when we think about our diet today of getting the recommended number of servings, right? And so by making it taste good, we're actually you know, creating new eating occasions. We have people telling us they're just grazing, eating the product right out of the tray because no washing is needed, but they're enjoying the flavor, they're enjoying the mouthfeel. Now, what's really magical, though, is when you see it in the school level, right? And, you know, this is a kindergarten through eighth grade program. It's a farming unit right in their dining hall. And they're very conscious about calling it a dining hall versus a cafeteria because it's another learning environment. But seeing the kids in all flavors, including spicy, like, because they do voting, and, you know, it's pretty magical when they, when they grow it, they eat it, but then... They really want to clamor for it because it tastes good. So you're creating lifelong you know, behavior changes there. And we've now seen multiple generations of, of students, of families, and seeing the broader impact in the, in the broader community. But it's been fun to be part of that. How important is that education component? Because, you know, I, uh, we mentioned earlier that I, I grew up in Yonkers, just outside New York City. So, you know, New York City is in my, back, in my backyard. But just it's not top of mind you don't see people like i mean and the flip side of that is now i'm in minnesota so like in terms of like open land and backyards and chicken coops and you know that's the exception on a rooftop in brooklyn in new york city but it's not built into like the consciousness of how people grow up but to understand like when they think of where does their fresh food come from they're gonna say like the bodega or if you're on the upper west side <laughs> like one of the nicer stores yeah. Well, listen, that's exactly right in terms of the work we've had in, the, in seeing, you know, these inner city schools where students might think, you know, food, where does it come from? Is it from the store? Not appreciating it's a package. But let's say in Minnesota, you know, you talk about harsh winters, right? I mean, that's, you know, you're not able to grow. So this is the opportunity to, you know, make connections with the food. And you find that this kind of food literacy it's so important when it's experiential, when it's hands-on, and, and they get a chance to see you know, where the food's coming from. So for us as a company, look, our vision is about large-scale commercial farms. We're going to be building 16 more by 2026, and a very specific thesis around what we can do from leafy greens and increasing access to leafy greens. But we have what we call community farms initiative, not only the schools. We announced this past year a major partnership we're doing with the World Economic Forum and their Healthy Cities and Communities Initiative. And they had identified four cities. Jersey City is the first one. It's also going to be Austin, looking at uh, Mumbai, and then Moscow. But the idea is that we're addressing this last mile. Fundamentally, we're putting the farms into the communities. And so we have smaller installations that can go right into schools, can go into senior assisted living, can go into even municipal buildings. And so these systems, and for the Jersey City Initiative, this is being underwritten by a grant, but it's allowing us to put 10 farms in, and we're in the process of rolling these out. The produce grown there will be given to the community for free and be part of a broader initiative to be able to measure working with IBM, but also working with Quest Diagnostics to look at the long-term health metrics. And so this is really important when we think about increasing access, uh, food security, food deserts, right, in terms of that access. But it's fundamentally what we're trying to do as well is just change the equation. It's no longer about a calorie. It's about the nutrition and thinking about um, how do we do that. It's making it familiar and people either growing it or seeing how it's grown is a big part of that. You mentioned the new facilities opening up. You've got one opening up in uh, Virginia, which is slated to come online in Q2 of 2022. So can you talk a little bit about the, the journey to get you, you know, how you figure out where it makes sense to expand and what that's been like so far? With this facility yeah so there are a few things with aerofarms and we talk about our history for us you know it has not been necessarily always just about 
that farm expansion, it's been about the research and development as well. When we think about really proving out the business, really understanding the key metrics and the KPIs, but also when we talk about work that we've been doing in other categories, how we've been unlocking more value. But what's exciting is that there's been tremendous response to the product we're selling here in the Northeast. Um, we're working with major retailers that span you know, national retailers and that are interested in us going to other markets and regions. And so the process and thinking about what market next, we have a, a very you know, elaborate farm development team and looking at, you know, literally there's over a thousand page document that looks at, you know, the siting, you know, considerations, looking at customer density, consumer density, thinking about the availability of our product, you know, how we can be efficient in that last mile. And so, but we're literally getting inquiries every single day about, can we bring a farm to this particular market, not only here in the U.S., but abroad as well. And so, the biggest challenge we've had is just being disciplined and saying, you know, how to have the right kind of measured growth and the right kind of impact. And we now want to be able to do even more of these leafy green farms, which is, again, one of the reasons why this is the right time for us to go public and be able to raise some more funds to be able to, 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 be able to fuel that growth. And uh, teeing up the second question I had about the recent move in to go public. So can you talk a little bit about what the experience for that has been and, and what's been the impact of uh, announcing that? Yeah. So, you know, listen, you know, this is one of the things where the market has been a real key driver because of the opportunity. We look at not only the growth of the indoor vertical farming category, which is tremendous in and of itself, uh, but for us as a company, we've said that, look, it's not just about indoor vertical farming. It's not just about leafy greens. It's about all these categories. And all of a sudden, you know, it's a one point you know, eight one point nine trillion dollar opportunity that we think we can be able to address uh, through multiple different categories. So tremendously exciting, and part of that is again, product that will grow commercially. And part of it can be part you know, that we grow for partners as well. But the core engine is the leafy greens in terms of again where we've proven the economics, proven the metrics there, and so we've gotten tremendous response from the investment community, tremendous response from our selling partners. But the biggest barometer has been from the consumer and what's driving, you know, this excitement has been, you know, one of the key metrics that you look at is called units, you know, you look at your sales velocity, units sold per week, per store, per item, right? And so the consumer is voting with their wallet in terms of, again, how they enjoy the product. We also see them voting with what's called the net promoter score. And this is one of the ultimate litmus, you know, when we think about customer loyalty, right? It's a zero to 10 scale point in terms of, again, 10 being the highest, like, would you, you know, endorse or recommend this product, you know, to a family or friend? And that idea of a personal endorsement is a really high litmus in terms of, again, you're talking about your interest in marketing, right? This is considered to be the ultimate in terms of customer loyalty because of their endorsement and how far that goes and what that means. And so we've had a leading score for the indoor vertical farming category. And so it's something that we work at and continue to work at, but it's in response to the product, the product experience and the excitement the consumer has for the company. I can definitely relate to the NPS as I used to manage a customer service reporting team in, when I worked at E-Trade. <laughs> so and one of the initiatives was to actually implement uh, NPS. And so it was really interesting to see, you know, what are the, how certain levers were adjusted to, and they would directly affect the, the NPS. And I'm wondering, as you see the results come in and the feedback people give you, have you seen that directly translate into, you know, tweaking things or looking for ways to improve what you're doing? At oh, absolutely. So NPS is not a marketing initiative. It's a company initiative, right? And so this is cross-functional from ops to R&D, you know, to FS, food safety and, and quality assurance. So this is something that's embraced sales. How do we deliver the right experience in terms of both our customers, but ultimately the consumer, right? So it's got to be seamless process. And so it's a disciplined approach, you know, that allows us to think, again, what are those levers, identify those levers, and then understand how we can, you know, benchmark and then improve. And so it's just another way of looking at the business, but it's one that's driving the right metrics, we think. So with the amount of time you've spent in marketing, I'm just curious, like pulling back for a second, how have you seen marketing change over the decades uh, that you've been involved in it? Yeah, so it's changed a lot from particularly the traditional brand management days of when you had a launch and, you know, multi-billion dollar, you know, campaigns 
to be able to signify that launch, right? It's very different in terms of thinking about how do you build a brand? And so how do you engage the consumer? How do you bring the consumer in to help build the brand, right? And so, you know, one of the things that we did very early on that's been very meaningful for us and continues to be very meaningful for us is that we do primary research. We get closer to the consumer. We understand, you know, what are the key drivers, you know, for the categories that we're competing in. And through that segmentation, we understand that one of the key, you know, attributes that we can uniquely deliver on and that are valued by the consumer. We then translate them to in-depth consumer personas to be able to inform very specifically beyond just you know, standard demographics, but the psychographics, but understanding what are the true motivators and then how to engage them, right? And so we do that and we've been very specific about that in terms of thinking again, how to build you know, our brand. And I think that's a very important part of the equation today and without question. And Part of that is the journey with the consumer hand in hand and how do we collectively, you know, it's not just us pushing out content, but how do we get them to be our brand advocates and ultimately really our brand ambassadors. So that's been incredibly exciting and we see as a very different approach in terms of, again, sort of the big umbrella push out and sort of the big campaigns is how do we bring them in. And, you know, we've had two things, you know, sort of surgically because our product, you know, is not available everywhere, right? So it's not in every single market. And it's helping fuel, though. People are contacting us and saying, I want to get your product. You know, and, and so this is helping us inform you know, that uh, farm pipeline of projects as well. I'm curious from a marketing perspective what the strategy is or what the feedback is from the people that are on the social profiles. Because it seems like that needs to be an integral part of your marketing stack and, and your plan for how you're going to reach people, how you're going to communicate to people the value of AeroFarms. You know, it's, it's relatively new in the history of marketing, the impact and thinking about social media. So I'm wondering if the team has given some thought to that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're living, breathing constantly. Again, you know, this level of engagement through all of our social channels. And I encourage and I share with your listeners, we're expanding our marketing team to be able to get even closer, right? And the idea is that, so we have a number of open roles you know, that are available because we appreciate that the dialogues are getting even more in depth and more, you know, and you know, you want it to be very real and very authentic, you know, and so we want to make sure our voice is represented. We want to make sure we address that, you know, any kind of questions, you know, that many people have. But more, it's about how do we celebrate, you know, the product. We celebrate their ideas, their recipes. I mean, at the end of the day, it's about sharing because it's a love of, you know, a, a great product or a great experience. And so what we can do to help foster that, encourage that is really important. And so this is something that, again, we're, we're thinking about all the time in content development standpoint. Given the experience you have, I just keep coming back to questions like high level about marketing. But where do you think companies get it wrong when, you know, having an idea about how they want to approach their best customers and, and relate and have a relationship with them. And because of the, the number of different companies that you worked at, I'm sure there were some initiatives that probably fell flat on their face. And maybe in retrospect, you, you could have looked at uh, how those could have been handled differently. And without obviously getting into specifics, I'm wondering what are some of the lessons learned about how not to do it? Well, I think what's imperative is, you know, thinking that, you know, you might have all the ideas or solutions. It's letting the consumer guide you, right? And so that is really important from a listening standpoint. And you may think you can have the best idea, but until you get a chance to get feedback directly, you know, so that's really important. And I think those are lessons that have been learned along the way. And what's important around that is uh, being aware of things like conscious bias, you know, an idea of how even when we're talking about the social, social listening, you know, everyone has a filter, right? And so... You know, we do, you know, some in-depth multivariate testing, you know, to take some of the subjective part out of it, right? And, you know, we take the personal and the ego out of it in terms of like, what, that's my favorite. That's what I'm close to. So, I mean, I'll give you an example, like, and it's an iterative process. And, um, you know, we came out with a brand new corporate identity and also a retail brand. But the retail brand, it went through four rounds of research that we did. And... It was done in conjunction, and it was not in vacuum, not only the consumer, but also with our selling partners to be able to have that uh, relationship. So this idea that ultimately, almost like you're co-creating, right? And that's how you get better buy-in, better engagement, and better loyalty, because people you know, are part of that journey you know, that you take them into. So I focus a little bit more on things that have served us well, but I think, again, 
the converse is thinking you might have the right idea and then not getting a chance to validate it against the, the right audience. So that's really critical. Thanks for sharing that. One of the things that stands out is really the conversation around business as a force for good, which is mentioned on the site, and and also working with the UN on their sustainable uh, development goals. And so can you talk a little bit about those initiatives and how that drives you know the vision moving forward? Well, one of the key things that we had literally from day one was the global scale and impact we wanted to have as a company. And a lot of it is informed, you know, I mentioned our CEO, David Rosenberg. He's very involved with the World Economic Forum. He helped co-found and co-chair the Global Circular Economy Task Force, has been involved with the G20 to help inform the, the B20 on policy to help foster innovation in business. And that lens that we have for the entire organization is how do we help move the industry forward as well? And so... This is really important when we talk about the sustainable development goals because you want to develop a common language and help foster and encourage that language that is understood no matter where, right? And so this lens and thinking about the key sustainable, you know, 17 you know, sustainable development goals that are out there, where do we have an impact? And we think we impact 12 directly and then the other ones indirectly. But for us, this is really important. Again, we think about a common language so you can have a common approach. And at the heart of that is this large-scale impact that we want to have uh, as a company and how we help move industry forward. So we think it's important to identify unifying aspects like that to be able to think about, you know, how do you make this into a broader movement? And so there are things that we've done there. There's reasons why we've embraced the B Corps as well and thinking about that. But there's things that we're doing, you know, with government, you know, we're things we do with USDA, with FDA. We help form what's called the CEA Food Safety Coalition as well. And we just came out with new certifications called CEA Safe for indoor growers. A big part of that was educating FDA about our differences of growing, so versus the field, uh, but also appreciating there are a lot more entrants into the space, and many of them might not even appreciate like what's needed from a food safety standpoint. And so we wanted to make sure, and this is something bigger than just any one company, but as one of the founding members, we wanted to make sure that everyone had access to good information so that we can all you know, make sure we avoid any kind of pitfalls. And so that's the lens that we've had at Aero Farms about being able to identify these broad platforms that can have broader impact. You mentioned uh, being on the, the team that came up with some of these initiatives. Can you talk a little bit about the relationship you, you may have with some of the other folks in the space? I know some of it can be viewed as competitive, and but some can be viewed as, as allies or you know, resources that you use collaboratively. So I'm just curious and how your experience has been coming into the vertical farming industry and how important those relationships are. I think they're incredibly important. I mean, with any emerging industry, you know, it's, again, you want to coalesce and be able to celebrate the successes and understand, even like you were talking about, what are some of the lessons learned? You know, that's important. That's important from policy standpoint and education standpoint. There's multiple stakeholders within government, retailers and things like that. So we cite this work in particular that we did with the CAA Food Safety Coalition as a great example, both greenhouse and indoor vertical farming companies coming together to talk about their differences. And it, there's more to celebrate in terms of common work that we can do together. Because at the end of the day, you know, it's about consumer safety, right? And, you know, we're feeding people that responsibility is tremendous. And so we want to make sure, and even the lessons that we're doing, for example, I've been on the FDA Romaine Advisory Task Force for the last few years, too, and seeing firsthand the challenges we're having out in the field. You know, as the only indoor vertical farming company there, we're trying to share best practices, right? And understanding what we can do both from mitigating risk in terms of the controlled environment, but also traceability and what we can do from even processing, there's no commingling. So there's things that we can do to help set the bar higher and help share, you know, those practices. And so it's really important, I think, in terms of, again, particularly with the consumer safety at the heart of this is, you know, what we can do together will have a bigger impact. It feels uh, to have a bit more importance as a nascent, relatively nascent industry for people to have a comfort level that leafy greens from a vertical farming company are in fact better, you know, taste better, obviously, but from a safety perspective, obviously, that anything that happened with that specific product, because I think it, it would it'd be a reflection of how it's viewed versus traditional farming from the consumer's perspective, if they're not educated enough. Yeah. And this is, you know, again, where, you know, the reason why we came together, we can move faster. And this is typically when you try to 
drive change in governments and different regions, you know, can move more slowly. So, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we've brought in to this work that we're doing, not just the work of these other indoor growers, but, you know, leading retailers, you know, like the Walmarts, you know, publics of the world that, again, are endorsing our approach or methodology and guiding us in the sense of, again, how do we, you know, do better from that standpoint? So, there's a lot when we think about you know how to come together, and that's one example. But I mentioned the work we do with USDA in partnership on research, and what we're seeing now, you know, when we talk about the work we're doing in Abu Dhabi, UAE, you know, we have offices set up there. We're in the process of building out our completely dedicated facility just for R and D purposes. The work we're doing there is with companies, but also with universities, and so the idea that we can help you know, inform, and this is even the work we're doing here in the U.S., land-grant universities, the traditional land-grant universities for agriculture, you know, what's needed in terms of curriculum, what's needed in terms of research, and we can collaborate together. And I think this is helping drive, you know, the entire industry forward. Uh, This question is a bit introspective, but I'm curious, what is a tough question you've had to ask yourself recently? Great question. One of the things that we hold near and dear is our culture, right? And so the thing that we talk about as we have grown, as we grow to multiple locations, as we go to multiple geographies, how can we sure be sure to instill, you know, from day one with new hires, you know, the values that we've had from day one. And so we spent a lot of time thinking about this. And this is one of the hardest things that we think about. But what guides us is that we have formalized what we call our care principles. And care is actually an acronym. It's C squared a squared re so we give a little bit of a nod to the science and, and the nerd in us but it's about communication it's about collaboration it's about accountability it's about agility it's about respect and ultimately empowerment and so those are the things that we um, try to inculcate in the organization but you know how can we bring that to life and uh, you know the world is changing in terms of you know, how we can do even better you know on those things and so you know those are the hardest things that we think about in terms of like again as we think about the continued growth and evolution for Aero Farms, how do we maintain that uh, incredible entrepreneurial spirit and maintain that uh, focus? Yeah, and I would imagine for people looking to Aero Farms as the next step in their career, having that outlined is something that's probably attractive to anyone who's who thinks about what they want the next few years of their employment to look like and then what type of company they'd like to be working for. Yeah, I mean, this is important in terms of... Um, our team members, it's important the organization, it's important that those new hires, as you said, or potential recruits. And so it's been um, important for us to make sure we, we make sure that that can really be fostered really, really well across these multiple locations. Are you looking forward to in-person conferences? Looking forward to in-person conferences. Yeah. Yeah. I've also appreciated that, you know, I was on a plane <laughs> quite a bit in many different regions. And actually with the virtual world, I could be like, on three different continents in any given day for an event. But listen, there's something really special about coming to see the farm. There's something even more special about trying the product. And so that's been exciting for us with these, not just in-person conferences, but in-person meetings again and bringing people in. But certainly without question, you know, the work we've done is about, you know, again, how do we scale this around the world? So this ability to be able to meet in person is a big part of that equation. Well, Mark, I want to thank you for taking the, the time to come on the podcast. I know we had some uh, interesting challenges with scheduling. And uh, I've always, like I said, we had a, a great conversation in part one with Ed. And, and I think we learned a little bit more about the initiatives. It seems like Aerofarms is is constantly innovating, constantly growing and moving and providing leadership for the industry that it's, it's exciting to watch. So I appreciate you getting us caught up on what's been happening. Well, thank you, Harry. Appreciate the opportunity. And for folks to learn about and stay on top of what's happening from a marketing perspective, I know that you're active on the blogs and on the socials as well. Any other places you want to point folks to? Uh, at AeroFarms and any of the platforms, we'll easily find uh, where we are. And you know you've reached a certain level of recognition when you see people trying to usurp your URL or your, your handles. <laughs> but just simply at AeroFarms, we'll get people to our, our real feeds. Yeah. And I do appreciate you bringing in the fencing because when I saw that on your profile, I was trying to figure out a nice way to ask you or introduce it into the conversation and you did that for me. So (laughs) I'm glad to see, I bet you when you joined it at the time, you didn't think it would have this weird 
pay off in the end. But uh, it's, it's funny to see when that happens. Yeah. Well, the one quick final parting note is that we have a, an incredible collection of team members who have excelled in different ways. Athletics is, is one, sciences, math, performance. So it's, I think what you find is a common denominator, just incredibly determined individuals who understand what it takes to get those kind of results. And so that's really transferable. And that's a great lesson in this in life. Do you still follow it at all in, in the Olympics or anywhere else? Oh, yeah, in the Olympics, but also just got a text from a friend who was just like, I just landed in Philly for the nationals that are going on right now. Oh, wow. And quick plug, David's son just competed in Philadelphia in nationals. So, yeah, this is uh, something that's near and dear. And particularly for my alma mater, Columbia University, one of the, more, the most accomplished program out there. So, very close ties and part of the, the committee there to uh, continue that tradition. Very nice. Well, thanks again, Mark. I really appreciate you sharing your story. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks again to Mark for coming on the show and sharing his story. Full show notes available at verticalfarmingpodcast.com. Special thanks to our season three title sponsor, Cultivated. If you are looking for a vertical farm and you don't know where to start or which tech would suit your needs, make sure you reach out to them today. Here's the best part. Their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Learn more at cultivated.com, and that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com. Just leave out that last E. Take advantage of early bird registration discounts for indoor ag at indoor.ag and save an additional $100 off registration with our promo code VFPOD2021. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. Sign up for a free podcast brainstorm to learn how a podcast can be helpful for your business at fullcast.co forward slash VFP15. And as a reminder, if you're enjoying this show, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. And we'll be sure to read those out on future episodes. We're closing in on the end of season three. Tune in next week for my conversation with Austin Webb. He's the CEO and co-founder at Fifth Season. Until we meet again, here's to your health. Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which includes any links mentioned in the episode, as well as a full show transcription, visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There, you can sign up for our email list to be notified when new episodes are published.